Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shanks Show. Hour number two of our broadcast. Welcome back. I'm Bill Shanks. Next segment, we'll talk Hawks with Jason Walker. Then we'll take your phone calls. We can let you know today that the Atlanta Braves have lost a long ball game. Oh, my God, that thing would almost never end. It just finished two hours and 50 minutes. Call Rob Manfred. We may need a meeting. Two hours and 50 minutes, and the Braves lose it 10-7. to 7. So, I mean, you know, what that's are we going to do? That's wheelhouse. That's where you want it. Between two and a half and three hours. That's wheelhouse. That that thing yesterday was gave me anxiety. Two eleven, yeah, yeah, that was too fast. I mean, that's a little stupid. But they had a lot of pitchers. Let's see, the Braves had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> Jeez. And the Twins had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So seventeen pitchers. That's like nineteen nineties baseball right there. <laughs> All right, so we'll talk more about that game in a little bit. Talk Hawks next segment. Right now, let's talk about the dogs. Jake Roos is with us from dogshq.com, at Roos Recruiting. And, of course, uh, Dogs HQ, part of the on3.com network. Jake, if we were a Major League Baseball game, you'd be on a timer, so talk fast. Hey, man, that's a, that's what I do, man. I talk fast, get to the points quick. Uh, first time, <laughs> long time, let's go. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, the Combine is this week. And I I think all Georgia fans are going to be really excited to watch the Combine over those four or five days just to see kind of how how things go. Um, Who are you most looking forward to watching in the Combine as far as their ability to really help themselves? You know, I think the guy that I'm looking forward to the most is probably Darnell Washington. I think that what he can do is pretty exciting. Um, You know, I think that – if he runs the way that people think he can run, you know, in that four to six range at 270 pounds, he's going to do himself a lot, a lot of favors. He's going to have guys falling all over themselves to get uh, in on that action. So uh, I, I think Washington's definitely that guy. Also, too, I'm really intrigued by uh, Keely Ringo because I think that I've seen a lot of mock drafts lately that don't have him as a first-round guy. And I think that he's another guy who's going to bring in a lot of tools that uh, will really impress uh, people. You know, he was always going to be, I think, a combine star. We knew that even in high school. He was tremendous in, in those events then. But, uh, you know, I think that uh, he can do himself a lot of favors, boost his stock even further. Let's talk about Darnell a bit because you watched him. You went to Vegas or Henderson, rather. Uh, they don't like to be called Vegas and Henderson. Uh, they, you went to Henderson to see this kid, and and he obviously had a, a, a great run at Georgia. If you're an NFL ex- evaluator – and especially, like you say, if you see him run the way he could run in this combine, I mean, how do you not fall in love with this kid? Yeah, no, I, I'm of the exact same mind, Bill. I think that the I think the intangibles are just going to be too much for people to pass up on. Um, you know, he has was he the most productive guy Georgia's ever had? No, but he also had a guy named Brock Bowers who was hanging on for two years, uh, kind of making some noise at the same spot. You know, in terms of the game, I think what he brings is so invaluable. He's a he's a very, very competent blocker. I think we saw that throughout his career, and that grew over time. But he's also such a weapon in the passing game, and I think yeah. that he can even further develop and utilize that skill set at the next level. Um, I think overall he's going to be a hard guy for a lot of teams to pass on when you just bet on measurables alone. Do you think you would prefer to have him go to a team that does have a good tight end already? 
for him to be a compliment at least at first and then maybe grow into that role? Or, I mean, and I ask that because, uh, again, trying to put yourself in the shoes of an NFL evaluator, you see how he worked with Brock Bowers. I, I don't know, and with all due respect to Darnell, I don't know if you can't tell his story without talking about how he complimented the best tight end in football here the last two years. So do you think that's going to matter as far as where he lands and the best fit for him? You know, I think that that could play into it. And, and really, I think that that would probably be a, a really advantageous situation for him. And we don't think about that typically, right, in terms of tight ends or really people outside of quarterbacks. But, you know, the idea of being able to kind of work with a guy for a couple of years – Learning at that level, I mean, it's going to be tough for him because it's not like there's somebody who's going to be in his same frame and say, well, here's how you do it. There's just not a lot of people built like that. Maybe you can go in the offensive line room and get some tips. But, you know, I think that he's a guy that can benefit from that. And, um, you know, I think that, like you said, he, he's played great complementary football over the course of his career. I think a, a start like that would be good for him. And then, you know, is, is it the possibility that he could take over? Certainly. I, I think that uh, so, some skill, some uh team will be able to to figure out how to utilize him in the future but yeah i, I think a, another year or so of development in the league uh, would not hurt his chances at all of uh, playing long term by the way mel kuyper's updated mock draft came out today and he had the enemy the new orleans saints taking darnell washington which i always hate when they get a georgia player because i don't like to rip my clothing and just absolutely say they're dead to me but um you know look i think they need a quarterback, so Darnell Washington could help a team that needs a quarterback find one because he's really a good threat, and they have a hole at tight end. Uh, Kuyper says, I, I, I just – I mean, I, I hate to say this, but I look at Atlanta, and I know they'd have to probably get higher than their second rounder because there ain't no way he's going to last at the second round. But, man, putting him with Kyle Pitts, Jake – that would no. That would be that would be dangerous. Now listen, he played at Georgia, so we probably don't have to worry about that in the long term. I don't think uh, Atlanta being the destination for him. But uh, you know, he's he is a guy. I think if you were to pair those two guys together, just from a pure physicality standpoint, oh my god, that would be it. Would be absolutely ridiculous, and it would honestly open up a lot of the things I think that Georgia did this year. Yeah. Um. You know, and that's got to be pretty intriguing. I would think. Um. You know, another guy that I, I think it would make a lot of sense for is. Uh, Todd Munkin up there in uh, Baltimore. Yeah. You know how do you how do you bring how do you bring him in and continue that success? I think Mark Andrews is still around for another year or two up there. So how do you kind of uh, you know play off of that tight end uh, those tight end roles? Something he's had success with that could be a pretty natural fit too if they're looking in that direction. Well, and with all due respect to this kid, Michael Meyer, the kid from Notre Dame, is six four two sixty five. It's not like he's you know uh, Gary Coleman from different strokes here. He's a big kid too, and he. It's just a different kind of player than what Darnell was. Darnell, I mean, you just when you saw Darnell on that field, it was like, God, Georgia's got six offensive linemen on the field, and that guy can catch it too. He's a very, he's a true unicorn. Uh, he's yeah. he's one of the rarest players that I've ever seen in terms of his physical makeup and his ability at that size. You know, the the, the scary thing about Darnell is that you know he can he can go and be successful as a pass catcher, and I think that's what he wants to do. But if somebody really wants to somebody sorry about that if somebody really gets the uh gets the notion uh to do it uh you know and maybe tight ends not working out he gets the yips with the hands hey maybe you pack 30 pounds on him and teach him how to play guard i mean he's got that kind of frame he's got that kind of versatility he's a guy that like i said i'm just excited to watch the development and see how he's able to capitalize on all of these things over the course of his uh career because 
he's such a rare, rare prospect, and, and, and such a he's going to be a fun story, no doubt. And how somebody handles him, I think, really is what it ultimately boils down to. I think he'll put in the work, but how does he fit into a scheme? Absolutely, yeah. You you have to to enjoy the process with him, and I can't wait to see what he runs too because he's just he's a beast. I mean, the first time I saw him on the field a couple of years ago, I was like, my God. Like the Incredible Hulk was just running down the field, but he had speed. He wasn't, you know, Lou Ferrigno speed. It was it was just out of this world speed. So, anyway, we'll see. Hey, uh, Jalen Carter's not going to participate with the exception of the interviews at the Combine and wait. I, I guess that's mainly top-of-the-draft type thing that happens, right? You don't always see the top guys perform at the Combine. You think he'll be okay even not doing that? What's he got left to prove? I mean, that's what I would say. I, I don't. I don't think. I, it, it, listen, if you're convinced that he's the number one pick uh, last week, I don't think that this changes that at all. Right. Um, it, it doesn't in my mind anyway. And listen, if if it does, then I hope it changes minds enough for him to fall to the Atlanta Falcons. That would be an absolute uh, gem for them. But you know, I, I think that it's not something that I, I feel like benefits him a great deal. Um, could he maybe even potentially injure his stock? Yeah, that's not out of the question either. So I think that it's a smart pull. Um, you know, people aren't going to love it necessarily, but, you know, he'll get out there. He'll, I, I think he'll do pretty much everything he needs to at the Georgia Pro Day and then uh, go from there. But I, I don't see it being a big hesitation creator for a lot of teams. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's again, a, a very rare talent. And unlike Darnell, you feel like maybe he's a plug-and-play guy. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Well, and yeah, I, I, I'm sure all Georgia slash Falcons fans are saying, you know, those two you who's on the radio are really funny if they think Georgia's going to, or rather the Falcons are going to trade up to get Carter or, or trade up in the late first to get Darnell. But you, you again, I, I mean, as you were saying that about Jalen, because Russ and I were talking in the first hour about a free agent possibility being signed to compliment Grady Jarrett. How about Jalen Carter complimenting Grady Jarrett? I mean, that is something that they've got to look at and be a little tempted with, don't you? And Jalen's – I mean, I, I am convinced, Jake, I don't know about you, he's not going one because the Bears are going to trade that pick. He's either going three or four, don't you think? Yeah, I, I do think that. I, I'm feeling that way more and more each day, to be honest with you, from everything I'm reading. Uh, it does seem that that's going to be the case. But, yeah, listen, I, I mean, I said, I said, I, I hope I was, I hope the Falcons were the ones behind the Todd McShay character slander. <laughs> They're not uh, that smart, know, I, Jake. You know that. <laughs> I, I was, that was, that was exactly what I was hoping for. Um, yeah, you know, if, I think that would be amazing. Listen, if, if you could go. To, to have a compliment to Grady Jarrett like that, and, and let's, you know, call it what it is. Grady Jarrett's getting a little old in terms of the league year. So, you know, he's got some, some tread left on the tires, but it's not like he's going to be around another 10 years. This is a guy who could come in and inherit that room and really, really just set the tone for the next couple of years. And quite frankly, the Falcons haven't had anybody like him in a long time. I doubt they'll get him this time, but, hey, listen, I, it's, we're, we're in dream season right now. That's right. Well, they had their chance to get Jordan, and they instead took a receiver. So, uh, anyway, I don't think we're all going to keep our hopes up for that. Jake Roos is our guest. We're talking a little bit about the NFL Combine and the Georgia Bulldogs. All right, uh, you, you mentioned Khalil Ringo, and, again, as you said, he's kind of all over the draft. But uh, he's also the type, it was kind of like last year, the top of the draft was a couple of those guys, Stingley and the, uh, um, 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 the Sauce Gardner. I mean, yes. th th those are the kind of players that a team can fall in love with, too. I could see a team watching Kelly Ringo this week and kind of falling in love with him and taking him at a little bit higher than 
people may think. Because right now, Jake, most most mocks seem to have him in second. I think, like you say, he could really do himself some good if he wins the affection of a, an executive this week in Indianapolis. 100,000%, man. I think if he runs the way that, again, we think that he can, you know, if he if he's in that low 4-3s, you know, mid 4-3s, like, you know, like we saw him in high school and maybe he's worked on that form a little bit, maybe he's got a little bit more explosiveness over the last couple of years, you know, that's going to be hard for people to tur- turn down, especially in his frame. That's what's really intriguing about him. I mean, he's almost six foot three. You know, I, there's to me, there's a lot of like Cam Chancellor to his game, and he uh-huh. was such a threat for the Seahawks for so many years. You know, I think what teams have to figure out with Ringo is, is he a, is his future in corner? Is he a lockdown corner for you? Or is he a guy who takes that big frame and gets physical with it and comes from the safety spot and is able to, you know, rush passers from back there or keep up with guys in deep field with that exceptional speed? He's going to have to figure that out, and I think that may be where some of the hesitance is coming from right now is how does he fit in positionally. But I think a lot of those questions will get answered in Indianapolis once teams have a chance to see him in person, evaluate him, and see him run. Do you think Broderick Jones, especially when you compare him to a couple of the offensive linemen that have come out of Georgia the last few years, which it's been a really good group. They've been on a good run here, even with the six-rounder who the Falcons passed on incorrectly and went to yeah i know i I, me and you talked that day and i'm like what the hell did they but anyway let's don't get caught on that i i I mean georgia's had a really good run of offensive linemen here does broderick fit right into that mold and and is he a first round talent in your opinion yeah i do think he's a first round talent i think broderick jones is best football ahead of him um and, and that's pretty scary but you know he's a perfect frame for it strong as an ox um just Brings it all to the table, um, you know, uh, multi-year starter, a guy who's had a lot of experience over his career and, and inherited the room with guys who are doing it at a high level in the league right now, and Andrew Thomas and, and then uh, Isaiah Wynn. So I, I think Broderick Jones should be a first-round talent. You know, uh, I think for him it'll probably come down to strength, and I don't see that being a problem for him. I think uh, he'll lift well this week, and, um, you know, I think as long as as long as it all holds as it should, I, I feel really, really good about his chances, and I think he'll be an exceptional lineman in the league for many years to come. Does Chris Smith convince anybody this week? Does he is he able to to do that? Perhaps. You know, I think you Chris could boost his stock. Sure, I mean, I don't think he's a first round guy. Right. Um, I, I'd, I'd be shocked, and th- really, that's just about his frame. Honestly, I I, yeah. th- I don't think that teams doubt his leadership ability, his physicality, anything like that. He's just a true safety, and, and he's not Earl Thomas, so he's not right. going at five foot, you know, ten and a half, five eleven. So I think that um, you know Chris is a guy who can boost his stock. Certainly, though, could he be uh, maybe a low second, high third? Yeah, I think that he could probably play himself into that with a great, great combine and an outstanding pro day. Uh, again, if a team falls in love with him, but I think from a, a, a just a personality standpoint, I think he's probably already impressed everybody to a really great degree. Oh, no question. Yeah, I, I think he could be a day two player as well all right um let's uh let's talk well and i was going to mention <laughs> can, can we hedge our bets on baltimore taking one of the bulldogs because of todd munkin going there i'd be shocked if if we don't see i know we're two months away but still you know todd munkin is going to have harbaugh's ear as they watch bulldogs this week in indianapolis offense yeah. and defense probably aren't they no, no, rightfully so, too. I mean, and also, I mean, they, 
they saw the rewards of having Roquan Smith on their team this Absolutely. year. I mean, they, they know they know how they're training them up in Athens. So I think that uh, they were probably already impressed, and now they've got some great insight with a guy who's worked with guys you know that are going to be you know highly sought after in this draft, and maybe even sleepers to some degree in later rounds. Yeah, I think that that's a huge advantage for Baltimore, and uh, I, I definitely could see a, a dog or two maybe even landing uh, with the Ravens. All right, Jake, uh, the big news out of Athens here in the last couple of days, the fact that Glenn Schumann is not going to the Eagles uh, and he is staying at Georgia as the co-DC with with Will. Obviously, we'll, we, we've seen Glenn Schumann go from an analyst at Alabama to accompany Kirby and Mel Tucker from Nick Saban's staff when Kirby took over in 2016. And it was obvious that Kirby had the confidence in that young man at a very early age. Now he's still young. Uh, but what what does that mean for this program to keep Glenn Schumann in place there with Will at that position? Massive. Uh, cannot be understated. Um, you know, you really – I don't think Glenn Schumann gets enough credit for the job that he's done, the continuity he's brought. Kirby Smart's first hire in Athens and has just not really looked back since. has been an absolute monster on the recruiting trail. Um, is probably in line for a great head coaching job in the vein of something like uh, Dan Lanning got for his work. Um, you know, but the guy, I, I know people want to hoist a lot of the credit on Will Muschamp, and rightfully so. He's Will Muschamp, one of the great defensive minds in this game and has been for many, many years. Glenn Schumann has put himself in that tier as well, and I think that the fact that you're able to keep those two guys together is something that uh, Georgia fans need to be thanking their stars for every day. Absolutely, absolutely. Jake, I wanted to ask you about a quarterback from Savannah. Of course, we're on the air in Savannah now, and Calvary Day's got a quarterback. Jake Merklinger, is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, yeah, Jake Merklinger, a very uh, interesting and intriguing prospect. Uh, you know, a guy who's really seen his stock explode these last couple um, this last couple months. And uh, Georgia recently got into the fold. I think it's been about a, two months now, a month and a half roughly. Um, it, very intriguing with that young man. Georgia needs a second quarterback in this class. I, you've gotta, I think what you have to figure out is, is how does that appeal to Jake Merklinger mostly. Uh, you know, Georgia wants a second quarterback, and I think they'd love for it to be Jake Merklinger or Dylan Riola for that matter. But, you know, does that, is that what Jake Merklinger sees for himself? Um, you know, because Michigan State and Tennessee, I think, are pretty much sending the, the message that you're the guy for this class. So how does that factor in with him? I don't know. He's a tremendous talent. Had a chance to speak with him on Sunday at the Under Armour camp in Atlanta, and he was uh, just a uh, lights-out interview, very sharp, very calculated in his statements, um, you know, very respectful of everybody who's shown him attention and love, and, you know, said that it was a pretty special moment in his house when Georgia came through. His mom went to uh, Georgia for four years, uh, has a lot of great friends up there, a lot of great memories. They've been to Athens multiple times for games, et cetera. Um, you know, that was clearly one that, that caught his ear. And uh, Mike Bobo, a relationship that he already had established prior to Bobo being named OC. So, uh, Merkling, you're definitely going to be a guy to continue to watch for uh, down the stretch for Georgia. Um, you know, I, I don't know that he's, you know, got anything locked in in terms of dates or anything like that as far as uh, a commitment. Um, he's got some spring visits coming up, and, and Georgia will be on that list. But, you know, there's time to go for this young man, and he doesn't seem to be in any rush. Um, is really taking his time with it. I think that, uh, you know, Georgia in a good spot with him. Uh, hard to say great at this point because he's really playing his cards tight. Do you think the transfer portal, which obviously is, is a part of the daily lexicon when it comes to college football recruiting now, 
makes it easier for a player like that who may not be the first choice. I mean, look, let, let's let's be totally honest. With all due respect to Jake, uh, Georgia's going after the number one player in the country here with Dylan, Dylan Rayola, and he is a very heralded prospect who would be perhaps one of the best prospects great out-wise that Georgia's ever had, probably right there with Justin Fields, I would imagine, Jay. You can correct me on that. But do you think now that there is a transfer portal that a player like that who may, because of his mom, for example, would love to go to Georgia? And then, okay, if he gets there and something happens where it's just not going to happen for him, then he can make a, a better decision kind of down the road about what he wants to do, whether it is to stay there and to be Dylan's backup or to go to to Tennessee or wherever. Do you think that for, for these guys who aren't these slam dunk arch Manning Dylan Rayola types makes it a little bit easier to make a decision and have options in his future? You know, I think, yeah, I think that's possible, but I think that you've got to be really, you, you got to be really, really willing to make a bet on yourself in that instance. Right. Because there's, I mean, there are a lot of these transfer portal stories that have not worked out successfully. Right. So I think that, you know, yeah, you can just, you can take that thought process. You can approach it that way, but you better be ready for some bumps and bruises along the way, because there ain't nothing guaranteed out there when it comes to that, day, that deck transfer portal, man. And so no. I, you know, that's, if you want to explore an option, yeah, that's probably a good way to do it. And, and I'll tell you what, Jake Merklinger, if that's what he wants to do, he's good enough to do that. I, I, I really, I truly believe that. But, um, you know, it's, again, like I said, that's it's a big roll of the dice. Well, and, and I ask that because from a team perspective, Jake, you, you said something obviously that is 100% correct, and that is that Georgia needs two quarterbacks this upcoming class. You want to talk about a gamble and how to try to figure that out. That is not easy now for any team. Because of that transfer portal, again, the good and the bad of the transfer portal to try to get two players and convince them to come. And uh, it's just going to be interesting moving forward seeing how the quarterback position is handled through the portal. Uh, I, I, I just find that really intriguing because, you know, look, uh, Jake may say, I don't give a damn who Dylan is. I'm coming there to win the job and be the quarterback for University of Georgia, the heck with everybody else. And he may say, I just want to be a bulldog and compete and do the best I can. I mean, at least it gives them options where you're not Bryce Ramsey and you're locked in for four years. I can't believe there's a Bryce Ramsey re reference on this show all of a sudden. <laughs> no, absolutely, man. And, and, you know, the thing about it is, though, too, I think with, with what you're saying is, uh, you know, how do you answer the questions at quarterback? I think one of the ways you answer it is probably with the transfer portal. If yeah. Georgia may, it may be the case that if Georgia can't land Riola, they can't land a Merklinger, you know, do they go to the portal for a second guy, maybe to go with Ryan Puglisi, who seems like he's pretty firmly locked in? Right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't write that possibility off at all. I, I don't think that that's the craziest thing I've heard by some some measure. Uh, you know, I think that an experienced guy to come in, you know, and you're going to have experience on the roster, but you need numbers first and foremost, yeah. and you're going to have to get the best guy available. I think they would love to do it with two underclassmen, but if it comes down to it, I, I think that uh, you know you could definitely see them look that way. Well, it, I, I, I hope Jake has a chance to go wherever he wants to go, and I'm excited to see him. It's no doubt in what uh, you and Chad Simmons have talked and written about with this young man. He looks like a great prospect, and I just love Georgia to have plenty of options in that quarterback room, that's for sure. Jake, great stuff. Thank you, sir. We will talk with you again next week. All right. Appreciate it, Bill. Thank you. Jake Roos from on3.com, dogshq.com, talking Georgia football. Up next – 
Jason Walker talks about the new head coach of the Hawks and what to expect tonight in Quinn Snyder's debut right after this. From Macon to Tifton on 93.1 and 98.3 FM, the Superstations. 428 our time. Thank you very much for being with us. We'll open up the phones a little bit later on. Right now, let's talk about the Hawks, who tonight host the Washington Wizards in Atlanta. Atlanta, a game over 500, and they are in eighth place, a game and a half behind the Miami Heat for seventh place, and a game and a half up on the Toronto Raptors, who are in ninth place. Washington is in tenth place, two and a half games back of the Hawks. They are 28 and 32 on the year. Jason Walker is our Hawks guru, and he joins us now to talk about Quinn Snyder. All right, I think when we talked last week, we knew that Quinn Snyder was a very good possibility. We Also, you and I talked about Kenny Atkinson. I think either one of uh, those guys would have been fine with us. But the Hawks wasted no time. Give me yeah. your thought as to what you believe the thought process was to not wait and go ahead and get it done. Well, I mean, it made a lot of sense for the Hawks because, um, you know, the sooner you get somebody in, the sooner that change can occur. And uh, obviously, you know, so many folks familiar with Quinn Snyder from his time in Atlanta, including Kyle Korver. Um, And um, so it made a lot of sense for the Hawks to get him in as soon as possible. I think that that was a 10 out of 10 for them to get him in Begin the process. You don't have to wait for the offseason. You don't have to wait for a new roster. You, you have him in. Now he can evaluate uh, everybody on the, on the roster as well. So if you go into the offseason and you know what you want to do, you have an advantage by having your coach there on hand. But, Bill, this rarely, this rarely happens. Never. I mean, you get a, you get a, a full-time coach uh, midway through with the, with the kind of uh, pedigree that Quinn Snyder has and – yeah, this is a home run in terms of, of timing for the Hawks. Well, I agree. I, I'm really excited about it. I can't wait. I hope everybody really pays attention and either watches or listens to this game tonight and and to pay attention to what goes on. I, I asked Russ this question earlier, and I'll ask you, what are you looking for tonight when you watch Quinn Snyder with this team? Anything in particular to see how he handles certain players or just sit back and watch and see what happens? Well, you want to watch for a rotation. Uh, there's not much that Quinn could have done, you know, from an X's and O's standpoint. Right. But Quinn, Quinn has a great reputation uh, for a keen sense of offense. Uh, so, you know, maybe 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 one wrinkle in there or something. But I think you just what you want to see is what we've seen, you know, with Prunty as the interim coach, and that's the, the players uh, playing, you know, with a little more enthusiasm and a little more bounce in their step and, and, and solid rotations and and um, you know that that's that's kind of what you want to see out of it. I don't know how much uh, Quinn Snyder uh, is going to be able to do in a little bit, but he, the evaluation begins now for sure for for that, and that could mean uh, you know playing time for a, more playing time for a Kung Wu like we saw mm-hmm. uh, over the last two games where he actually outminute uh, Capella. I think those are the kind of things that will be interesting to watch here. As, uh, as Quinn Snyder begins to evaluate the Hawks roster. I don't know if you saw the comments from Jalen Johnson on what yeah. uh, what what he said with the the instruction, the coaching that yeah. Joe Prunty actually did as far as, hey, I want you to bring the ball up. And he said, you know, very matter-of-factly, I, I haven't really gotten that. 
So how much does having a coach that doesn't have the reputation of not liking to play young players enter into the last 21 games of the regular season here? It's weird that the same coaches that were with Nate McMillan now suddenly you know you're doing different things. It's it, you know I, I guess I I think I, I thought we've moved along a lot further <laughs> in sports where you know a head coach just says no, but Bill, we see it in college football all the time. You get a you get a head coach who just doesn't want to do certain things on offense, and they just don't do them. And, and even though you have capable players there, we see this now in the NBA, and we see it saw it with Nate. He just didn't want to have Jalen Johnson there. Just he was uncomfortable. I don't know. I couldn't even tell you. It, it just blew my mind that uh, you know that you know he wasn't getting that coaching. Not, but not just not that coaching, but he Punty was on the staff. So was Nate saying? Look, don't just keep the guys focused on one, two, and three. And then when Nate's gone, they say, okay, we can get to four, five, six, and seven now too. And that's what you know. You know, that's what validates kind of a move off of of Nate with this roster. Let me ask you this: if if Quinn Snyder looks at Jalen Johnson and AJ Griffin as two people who should be able to contribute to this team, doesn't Quinn Snyder look at this team as being ten deep? Oh, certainly. Yeah, I, I think certainly. And, and not, I don't know you know, if you we know, always saw that with Nate McMillan. I don't think he felt that all the time. Do you? Well, I mean, we would see 10-man rosters, but they wouldn't necessarily include the young guys. Right. And we would see 10-man rosters, but, it, you know, you wouldn't have a modern staggered rotation. You'd have all five in at the same time, <laughs> uh, you know, bench bunch. And, you know, that, that's not ideal No. Uh, when you're trying to, to, you know, have a consistent production throughout the 48 minutes of a basketball game. But, yeah, I think that, I think so, Bill. I mean, we'll see, you know, what A.J. Griffin and Jalen Johnson, obviously those are the two that we're most watching from a from a development standpoint. But, shoot, you know, Nate McMillan stood right up there last year at the very beginning playing this flag and said, we're done developing. And, um, you know, that was obviously a giant Harry the Hawk red flag right there on, on what the younger players were going to do. And obviously, uh, you know, moving off of Nate and, and the comments from Landry Fields and, and Kyle Korver and, and making these changes and bringing in Quinn Snyder is a lot about development. So I would, I would expect to continue to see those guys play meaningful minutes uh, for the Hawks. As, and you mentioned the standings, Bill. I mean, it, they're three games, you know, they're three and a half games out of sixth place. That's, you know, that's the playoffs. That's not even the play-in anymore. So it's all still right in front of, uh, the Hawks for for the season, and uh, you know this burst of enthusiasm hopefully can carry them up there and and begin to fight for the top six. At Jason Walker NBA on Twitter, Jason Walker is joining us here on the show to talk about the Atlanta Hawks and again the debut tonight for Quinn Snyder as the head coach. You can hear that game after the Georgia game in Macon, Warner Robins, Rochelle, Pinehurst, and Savannah, and you can hear that game on in. Brunswick and Waycross Blackshear. I I asked Russ a little bit earlier, and again, I'll, I'll ask you your thoughts on. Uh, I'm curious as to whether we'll see anything different with John Collins tonight. Are you? Well, I mean, we'll keep an eye on it for sure. I mean, whenever he's playing with with Clint Capella, it, you know, he takes a lot of you know, he takes a you know, he, he does less from a playmaking standpoint. He does less of what he can do on the floor. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they play him more with a Kongwu and, uh, you know, how they kind of manage. But, again, it's, it, it's early on uh, in there. I think that, 
you know, I think if we get through the off season and John's still on the team, we'll know that uh, that Quinn thinks that he's a special player and somebody that they want to they keep around and, and be able to, to leverage and see if they make moves um, uh, on other players that may not work as well with John. Would you be uh, curious as well, and I know we're trying to just guess at what we're going to see with this guy, so we're just throwing things up against the wall. We do not know, but uh, again, another thing is, or what you, you mentioned the word rotation, obviously. What, what will he do with Young and DeJounte? I mean, how much will he want them out there together? I mean, how comfortable i mean that may be a feel thing yeah. for him though in, wouldn't it in utah he staggered you know he staggered donovan mitchell he made sure there were t- there were you know there were rotations where you know mitchell was the primary ball handler uh out there and you know so i i think that he's got quinn's got great experience quinn also being a guard yeah. uh you know understands these things and the point guard to boot so i mean you've got uh you know i think i think we'll see a modern nba rotation just like he did in utah um, you know, with with this Hawks team, and you know, I think it's worked well for the Hawks having them together, having them apart. You know, do we see Trey off ball more? I don't know. I like the ball in Trey Young's hands. Maybe that's just me. I I like seeing Trey with the ball, and um, and making things happen for the way the spacing and and everything else. Uh, you know, having him run around the baseline is not as valuable to me as him having to be defended twenty nine feet from the from the basket and opening up the floor. Like they do, so you know. I think that you know Quinn probably very excited to have two all-star guards at his disposal, being the kind of offensive guy he is. Uh, I'm just curious to see you know kind of you know what happens uh, moving forward. Jason Walker, our guest, talking about the Atlanta Hawks. I said earlier, Jay, that you know this is the first time they've hired a coach to really try to win in a long time. You you <laughs> you go back to the fact that when Travis came in here, he had booed. And and Mike Boonholtz, obviously, I mean, yes, he was hired to, to win, but that was, what, eight years ago, nine years ago. And then yeah. he brought in Lloyd Pierce to, to help in that belief, yeah. develop talent. Then it didn't work out. And I think we thought when Lloyd Pierce was here, all right, at some point there may, may be a more experienced coach to take them to that yeah. next level. And then it didn't happen that way because they had to really try to pick up the pieces of that year, and they happened to obviously go on the run that made them, I think, feel obligated, and rightfully so, to keep Nate McMillan. But now we have a situation where they have, as a front office, hired someone to really win. And right. and that excites me. I, I that that's what yeah. really gets me pumped up about even tonight, what we're going to see tonight, because right. really this hasn't happened in a while. Big swing, and I, you have to go back to Lenny. Bringing yep. Lenny Wilkinson was a huge deal. Yes, sir. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it was the right move. I mean, yep. when you had the players that they had, uh, bringing Lenny in was right. And I think it's, you know, I think Lenny obviously is a, you know, even at, at that time a much more uh, accomplished coach. But sure. Quinn's very accomplished and certainly would have been the, the hottest name in the market. And uh, I think it says a lot about this job. You know, they talk about no draft picks and this, that, and the other thing. But Quinn Snyder could have waited until the offseason and got more suitors and, and raised his value. But there was something about this situation in Atlanta that said, nope, I'll forego all of that and, and make, make the move. And that excites you too, Bill. I mean, I, yes, for a coach that's already won at a playoff level and to come in and, and choose to come in midseason rather than wait till the offseason when you could probably maximize uh, your value, that, that is – very, it was a very interesting part of that whole cycle, and 
and should get us all excited about um, you know what's to come. Well, in spite of the warts that we've obviously had to deal with with this team, yeah. I, I think you can look at it and say, look, there there are a lot of players who have performed at a high level offensively. I mean, John Collins has been over right. 20 points per game. We know that Bogey, when hot, can control the game offensively. We know what Trey can do. We know what Murray can do. Hunter shows glimpses of doing that from time to time. Sadiq Bay had 50-something points last year, right? And we know that that A.J. Griffin, I mean, I think he can develop into a very good offensive player even as he gets, you know, able to drink, for crying out loud. I mean, that in itself, those things right there, especially for a coach known as an offensive guru, Jay, I think that explains why he's here, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. And the fact that he is here makes you wonder, too, some of the things you talked about, the warts. Um, did he get some assurances that they would be willing to to uh, do whatever he needed, you know, talent-wise and roster-wise, to, uh, to – take it to the next level so very very exciting yes and with all like you said with all the offensive weapons and with a you know with uh you know with Snyder's and kind of more of an offensive mind uh, at the helm I think it'll be you know I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities that can come out of that certainly more interesting than isolation ball and um you know that 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 always gets a thumbs up for me yeah no kidding all right, finally, I know you listened to my interview with your boy Stan Cassidy the other day. Yes. And yes. and I have to ask you this. So he pretty much told us that if he hadn't have gotten Moses in 1988, he might have gotten Daryl Dawkins. Have you written that lineup out to wonder what that could have been like back in the day? <laughs> it would have been a great quote, you know. <laughs> it would have been a great great quote, uh, you know, getting getting that in there. Did he say that it was with the Utah trade, though, right? Can have Dawkins or he could get Wilkins. Oh, that's that's, that's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah. I think you're right. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. Well, Moses. Dawkins. I mean, that would have been tough. Right. But I, I was really surprised. Stan thought that it was right the, the right move getting Malone and Theus, and that yeah. he really felt like if Kevin didn't get hurt, uh, and yeah. which is an interesting thing. You know, I kind of forget about that because yeah. they did have Moses there. Yeah. Um, but if Kevin didn't get hurt, what that team could have done, I, he, I think he's right. Well, maybe, but I still wonder, and you and I have talked about this, if there was just only, there's only one ball when, when when Dominique and Reggie were on the court now. <laughs> well, that's true, but Kevin Kevin at least could have provided a nice presence. Kevin was, yeah, you're right. Kevin was kind of a one-way door also offensively. That ball went in and it did not come back out. But, uh, uh, you know, it would have been, you know, I think when you talk about matchups, though, if we go back that far, get in the wayback machine, I think that was interesting. But it was great to hear Stan, and that, the, the story – he really was passionate about Atlanta sports, and it, it always came across. He's a class right. act, and you know, I'm happy that he was recognized there and did a great job on that interview. Yeah, uh, he he it was it was a lot of fun. I think he enjoyed not having to talk about Trevor Bauer and those dumb Dodgers. <laughs> uh, he doesn't enjoy not talking about the Dodgers. I know. I love not talking about them. No, no kidding. I know. No kidding. It seemed like every damn time we were on the MLB game of the week, Gregorio and Kubek, we lost those bastards. All right. All right, Jay. Enjoy tonight. We'll talk to you again next week, okay? You got it. All right. Jason Walker, our guest, talking uh, a little basketball. Hawks coming up tonight. We'll take a break, come back, talk a little sports, get ready to take your phone calls at the top of the hour as we continue on this Tuesday right after this. Four forty-eight. 
our time. Bill and Russ on the radio. All right, so so uh, Rob Manford won in run scored. He didn't know it would filter down into the college ranks too, Russell B. <laughs> yeah. Give us the scores of the Georgia and Georgia Tech uh, baseball games so far. Well, Tech just uh, hit a grand slam to go up 12-4 to four in the first inning. And uh, in the with one out in the – uh, it's second inning, bottom of the second. Georgia hit their fifth home run in the game to go up five to one over Presbyterian. Wow, wind's blowing out on the Kudzu Hill today, huh? I guess so. Wow. Well, we're gonna see some high-scoring games uh, from Georgia and Georgia Tech this weekend if uh, they keep on going that way. They had a high-scoring game in Florida today for the Braves game against Minnesota. Twins win it ten to seven. No, Kent Herbick was not in the game today. Wherever he is, we hope he's having a crappy day. The bad news for the Braves, Ian Anderson did not have a good day, and he admitted that he had a horrible day. He gave up four runs on three hits, three walks, one strikeout, two home runs. He only got four outs, one and a third innings pitched. We'll get back to him in a moment. Michael Tonkin trying to make the bullpen, a AAA guy who they put on the 40-man roster, allowed four runs in one inning as well. Jared Schuster, the top draft pick for the Braves a couple of years ago, who's the top prospect now in a very diluted farm system. Schuster pitched two scoreless innings, only one hit allowed. Victor Vodnik bounced back after giving up some runs the other day. He had a shutout inning, one hit, two strikeouts, and the rest of them are are no names. Offense, Kevin Pala had a home run, two-run shot for the Braves, his first home run of the spring, and he has now got an average of 333 in the preseason. I think Kevin Pillar is going to be our fourth outfielder, Russ. I mean, he's got great defense. He can come in to spell Azuna if he's out there, and then you can still keep Rosario on the bench if you need to. And, I, I, I mean, I just think he's the fourth outfielder. Yeah, it was good to see him have a good day at the plate, too. And we know the defense plays, and – you know, and if Azuna is out there in the late innings, you'll need a defensive upgrade, especially if Rosario has already come out of the game. So it, it, that makes a lot of sense to have just a veteran guy like that out there. Vaughn Grissom, three for three, two RBIs, hitting 571. Don't know how he did defensively. I didn't watch, but offensively, he's off to a good start. Azuna, one for three. That's good news. He got a base hit. Let's see. Um, that's about all. Grissom. Pilar and uh, Hilliard got the RBI for the Braves as they had seven runs scored. So back to Ian Anderson. Look, I'm not surprised by this, and I'm not trying to make an excuse for him. I know our our friend Jamie on Twitter is like, what in the world are we going to do with fifth star spot? And I reminded him what the date was. Ian Anderson went to that Wake Forest Baseball Academy, tinkered with his delivery, he also was trying to add that third pitch of a slider to replace that loopy curveball or whatever he tries to throw to make it look like a curveball. So I'm not surprised by this. And I know people are going to say, well, now what's Soroka going to do? Well, again, let's kind of calm the brakes on that. we got to see what he does when he gets out there. But Ian Anderson is going to have some things to work out. That's what spring training's for. I know we get wrapped up in in performance and stats. We just talked about the stats for the fourth outfield candidate, so I'm not trying to be contradictive contradictive to what I was saying a, a minute ago for a hitter. 
yes, the pitcher stats matter. But I think when you're dealing with someone, Russ, who ended last season, really, well, we ended it with an injury, but before that, he was in trouble. He had an ERA of five. He was struggling. He had really hit the first speed bump of his career, and they sent him down to AAA. He didn't do well there. Then he got hurt. Then he went to this camp and tried to refine his delivery a little bit more. And so there's a lot going on with Ian Anderson that I, I don't think we could have expected two scoreless innings like we saw with Freed and, and Strider yesterday. Now, again, I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but I think we do need to remember, Russ, that in spring training, sometimes they have to work things out. Well, they, yeah, I, I, I mean, you almost expect it really – with him working in the slider with that new pitch to have some struggles early on in spring training. I know they have live BP, but you know, this is the first time he's broken that slider out in a real game setting. So, and he's probably having to adjust to the pitch clock a little bit too. So you've got a lot of stuff going on right there. It's, it's like anytime you hear somebody's tweak their swing or work on their swing, it's like they always get off to a slow start in spring training because it's new. So I don't think it's anything to be alarmed about, you know, and we still got, I mean, my gosh, we're not even into March yet. I know tomorrow's March, but it, it, there's a long way to go. It's an extended spring training, too, with the World Baseball Classic. There is no reason to be panicked about anything outside of an injury. Uh, th- there's no reason to be panicked about anything right now. Nope. And, and okay, in three weeks, if this is still going on and he hasn't gotten any better, okay, we'll sound a little bit of an alarm, and Alex will have to work that out, whether it's Mike Soroka or Bryce Elder or – Dylan Dodd, and I'm not kidding with that. I said that last week that I had heard he was kind of opening some eyes. Then he goes out there and throws the ball very well on Saturday, Russ. I mean, that's a name we need to keep in mind. Right, and uh, we talked about the depth of the starting pitching staff. you know, And we're also we're talking about a fifth starter. I don't want to make it out to sound like it's not that big of a deal, but – you know, Ian Anderson going out there and and not looking very good compared to Max Freed is that that's a lot different, you know. Right. Um, so, and and the other thing too is the the Braves have one of the best front offices in baseball. So if there is going to be an issue with the fifth spot spot in the rotation to start the year, Alex will fix it. You know, right. it, there's just not. Again, you just can't get panicked about anything in spring training. Well, we've seen many a time where. John Scherholtz and even Frank Wren, when they had to make a move in March, they did it. And you know what? If on the 28th of March, which is four weeks from today and the end of spring training, there is a need, it will be filled. I have no doubt in my mind about that. Let's open up the phone lines, 478-646-ESPN. You can talk about all the things we've been talking about the last couple of hours. Braves, Hawks, Quinn Snyder's debut. Let's hear from you. 478-646-ESPN as we continue here on The Bill Shank Show. 